And we are back, Doom Nation. What's up, guys? It's Gags and the Captain, as always, in the Captain's Quarters. And today is a special show. We are very excited about this because the two guys who continuously tell you we are not experts, we found an expert. Want to introduce him? Yes. So I've been looking forward to this a lot over the past couple of weeks. Chris can yep. definitely tell you. Uh, we have on Professor Nick Giordano. Nick, if you want to introduce yourself to everybody. Sure. I'm a professor of political science. I've been a professor for now 15 years. I'm getting old out there. And prior to that, I was a Homeland Security Emergency Management Planner. I worked for the state and did a lot of contracting work with local governments and other state governments around the country. And I host the PAS Report podcast. It's a fantastic podcast where I pretty much take what I do in the classroom and bring it to the masses. Yep. Big listener of the PSA report. Most of my smart things that I come up with come off of, you know, so, you know, come out from ideas that I get off the PSA yeah, report. P- PAS, PAS report. report. He, does, yep. he does that every time. I yep. always have PAS to PAS report. Him. Sorry. Yeah. Well, it's public service announcement, yeah. politics analysis, strategies. It's close yeah. enough, similar enough. But, um, yeah, so we are super excited to have you on. Thank you for coming. Glad to um, be here. You so. Wanna- I've been, this is something I've been really interested in lately, and I feel like you were definitely the the right person to talk to about it, um, which is critical race theory. Um, It's like a hot topic nowadays, um, especially on the Twitterverse. I've heard a lot about it from this guy. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. His name is James Lindsay. He's a, um, he's like a mathematician. He's, he's really anti-critical race theory. He's like a very vocal, uh, you know, criticizes it. Yeah, that's Um, a good thing. And I finished college in 2018 and right at the end, it was starting to be taught, but I didn't realize or recognize exactly what it was or understand it. Um, now, a few years later, I'm really not worried yeah. about it. So <laughs> my first question for you really is what exactly is critical race theory? Well, I'll give it a setup for it. So it was started in the 1970s. They actually started teaching critical race theory. In 2016, 2017, they started making it a requirement at a lot of colleges and universities throughout the country. So prior to that, it was more of an elective, but then it became a requirement. Now we're seeing it trickle down in the K through 12 institutions. And in certain cases, we're seeing it being taught to kids as young as four years old in preschool. Critical race theory is probably one of the most nefarious, horrendous things you could actually teach a child. If the child is white, they're basically taught that they're inherently a racist. They've been born a racist. They'll always be a racist. And they need to recognize that they are a racist, that they are an oppressor. If you are a minority, you're taught that you're inherently a victim. You're always going to be a victim at the hands of your white oppressor, that the victimization will continue throughout your life. And and that's what makes it so horrific because you're teaching these impressionable minds. I mean, college people can make up their own minds. You're talking about young adults that are able to think for themselves, even though there's a lot of indoctrination that goes on, students do have the ability to come to their own conclusions. But if you're doing it to kids that are four or five, six years old, I mean, I know my, from my personal experience, my children, they didn't look at race. They didn't pay attention to race. They noticed that people were different. And I explained that everyone's always going to be different, no matter how they look or talk or walk. But they didn't see race as this thing that hurts or helps anyone. And yet now that's what we're teaching, that if you're born a certain skin color, 
essentially you have that white privilege. Right. And so if you're born with the like other skin color, you sorry. don't have any privilege. So it basically it's stating that Oprah Winfrey with all of her billions of dollars is at a disadvantage to me living here in my mother's house. Basically. Correct. I have, I have a better opportunity a at life than she does. Yes. You okay. have your white privilege card. It's why I identify as an 18-year-old Filipino stripper because I don't have <laughs> a white privilege card anymore. But when we, when we look at this, all it does is build hate, resentment. Kids start to get self-esteem issues. You know, I had my 10-year-old last week ask me, why is it so bad to be white? I mean, this is a 10-year-old kid. Shouldn't have to, I shouldn't have to go into those conversations with him. But that's what we see. We see this bitterness that's beginning to boil up and it's meant to divide society. It's meant for the divide and conquer strategy. So you have there's people at the top that are pushing this crap solely to make money. This is a big money industry. And it's scary because we don't have any press outlets. There's no real press out there. But even the conservative press outlets that do have the time and the resources to investigate it, you would find that most of these companies that offer this critical race theory nonsense that, that offer the trainings to the schools and do it for the schools and the corporations and everything. Most of them are going to be owned by white liberals. So you have the nefarious group that's making money off this nonsense. Then you have another group of people that are looking to exploit this for power purposes. They're looking to gain power, divide the masses, and that's how you achieve power. And then you have the useful idiots that are actually teaching this crap to the kids. It's truly stunning. And for all the parents out there, especially in the K through 12 system. Know what your kids are being taught. You have to speak to your children. You have to find out if this is going on in your school. And if it's going on in school, go to the school board, complain about it, complain to the superintendent. And if they don't do anything, get rid of them. The parents have the power. If they organize, they could get rid of them. Yeah. Interesting. Who, I'm sorry to jump, who okayed this to be in the schools, the K through 12? I don't understand. Like I could, like you said before, like, in, in a college course, you can choose whatever you want that it's, this is a theory, something to learn about fine, but who okays the idea of putting something like this in K through 12 or even like K through eight, maybe high school, you could start talking about the theory and that's being, you know, crazy. I just don't understand why you would okay this for like kindergarten. Well, that's a great question. And it really depends because everywhere is different. So if you look at New York City, it's the New York City Board of Education that's going to determine the curriculum for the thousands of public schools that exist within the city. I'm from the Long Island region. We have independent school districts. So it's literally each and every school district that will make their own choice. And that's the mm -hmm. way it is in most suburban communities. So if you're in a city anywhere in the country, it's usually a board of education that exists within that city that's making that determination. If you are in the suburbs or a rural community, it's usually the school district that will make that determination, the board of education in the school district. Okay. Interesting. I feel like this has sort of permeated a lot of culture nowadays. Oh, yeah. It's got to be into everything. And a lot of people don't realize that this is sort of the ideology behind all of this stuff. Uh, people call it like woke or like wokeism, but they don't really look into critical race theory no. or, or understand that. You know, like a lot of stuff I'd say that people that are loud on social media, like an AOC, for example, People call her woke, but she really definitely studied, I would say, at some point, oh, critical yeah. race theory and is pushing this well, she, sort of stuff. On she everybody. used it. She used it this morning. Uh, Nick, I don't know if you saw the headlines and you were the one that shared it to me. Yes. Uh, 
that AOC made a comment about the crisis at the border and to call it a surge of immigrants is, you know, a term a white nationalist or is a right. white privilege the, the, the would the use. The term surge is apparently a white nationalist term yeah. uh, rooted in the militaristic, uh, you know, vocabulary, I guess you could say. And that white nationalists are using it to call people coming over the border as insurgents. Yeah. Like a, like a negative connotation in some way or another. That, that shocked me because <laughs> when I've, you know, I've used, you. I've used the word surge on this podcast yeah. before. And I mean it in terms of an increase in people, yeah. a rush of people coming in, like more people. Yeah. I never thought of it in terms of insurgents. No. If anything, in my opinion, AOC is the racist yeah. because she's the one who thought of that. <laughs> well, that's all these people do. That, that's all they do is they, they steep in race. And that's, they have nothing else. They are so superficial that they can't explore what's going on on any policy level with any type of complexity. So the knee-jerk reaction, of course, over the last five years especially, has always been, let's go to the race card. But once again, it's more nefarious than that. I look at Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I don't look at her as too... She's not that bright. I'll just come out and say it. She's not a smart person. <laughs> I agree with she's you. She's basically... <laughs> said it. She gets handed a script and she speaks from that script. What makes her dangerous is that she's very influential. Mm-hmm. And people need to realize that you don't need to be smart to be influential. She's got over a million followers. She has a lot of power within the Democrat Party. And what has happened is people don't realize the level of, of socialism, communism, and Marxism that's being infiltrated into our society. So when we look at Karl Marx, Karl Marx talked about the workers revol- revolting against the elite classes, that we're going to have the workers rise up, they're going to take over. And then we'll establish this communist system. Well, it never worked in the United States. That communist message never took off. And it never took off because the American worker lives a pretty good life. I mean, we have the largest middle class. I mean, China actually has the largest middle class just because they have 1.3 billion people. But we have a middle class that lives a really good life. And the American worker never turned against the corporate owners, against the small business owners, because they were treated well. And they got their raises. And a lot of it was done through merit. If I work hard, I know I'm going to get to this, this goal right here. This is where I'm going to end up. So since the worker revolt never took off, that argument never played well here in the United States. Well, they had to change it to something else. And so what did they change it to? Race. They understood that if, if you could divide the United States on race, we collapse as a country. And it's fairly easy to see. We are the one country in the world that has people from all over the place, all different backgrounds and religions and ethnicities. We don't have 2,000 years of shared history together. We don't have this common culture together. We have 230 somewhat years since the Constitution has been passed. And when you look at it, the one thing that links us together is the acceptance of the American creed, the Declaration of Independence, the United States Constitution, and the concepts of liberty and freedom. But if you bring race into it, well, now you raise the tensions. Now you start the divide and conquer strategy. And because we are different, a lot of times people will retreat to whatever their ethnic identities are. What I'm seeing, though, is something different going on. People aren't retreating to their ethnic identities, but people are starting to retreat to their ideological identities of political parties and who they're aligned with. And this is allowed. This is why the Democrat Party has actually moved so far to the left, 
because they actually play and engage in this racial identity politics. And there's a lot of minorities that actually don't like it. That's the amazing part. Because I speak to minorities all the time. I mean, you know, 30% of my students are actually Hispanic. I have about 20% that will be black, and then the rest will mostly be Asian and white. And I can't find a single student that likes when the race card is being played, that likes the identity politics. Even if they support Democrat policies, they don't like being divided by race because they're not monolithic voting blocks. Not all blacks think alike. And to think that way is pretty insulting when you actually think about it. Yeah. Not all Hispanics want to see illegal immigration. They don't want to see a border surge. They, they came here legally. They went through the process. It took them years. And so they don't like the fact that, you know, they're being told just because you're Hispanic, you have to like immigration. Yeah, I, I always find it hysterically funny that when we can't do something or when Congress won't pass something, it's because it's too hard for this group. So like voter ID, they say the minority communities can't get an ID. But we never hear from the minority communities that are going like, no, no, we all have ID. We can we can do this. You can mail it to me if you really want to. Like you never hear the point of view of the community that can't do it. It's always an older white guy saying that. Speaking for that community, which in essence is kind of racist when you think about it. But it's funny that you bring that up because I actually put a social media post out today and I put, you know, I'm I'm genuinely curious. I want to know out there. The left says voter ID is not allowed because minorities can't get id cards they can't get them it's a barrier so i put to all the minorities black america hispanic america asian america i want to know have you encountered any barriers in getting an id and you can't get one or do you find it insulting that you have a bunch of elitists mostly white elitists that look down on you that have such low expectations of you and assume that you're not self-sufficient enough to actually get an id Like, to me, that's insulting to assume that just because I'm a certain skin color, I have difficulties getting an ID. Yeah, ludicrous. I I mean, I would argue anyone that goes to DMV, DMV does not discriminate. They're going to give you a hard time, no matter if you're white, you're black, Hispanic, Asian. (laughs) You're going to have to go back to DMV DMV about three or four times because you don't have the proper documentation for something. There's not a single person out there. It's non-racial. It's a non-racial issue. Nobody likes the DMV. And I'm not just talking about the workers. The workers are fine. But the DMV is always a nightmare and it discriminates against everyone, regardless of color. <laughs> yeah. What's even weird about that, too, is just uh, speaking in terms of let's use the Bronx, for yeah. example. I'm, I know I'm familiar with where the DMV is in the Bronx. It's on Fordham Road. It's, it's a very minority neighborhood. So how, how would that even apply to yeah. there? They, well, here you know I mean, it's actually it was actually harder for me living in uh like you know throg's neck yeah. which is more of like an italian you know wider neighborhood i guess you could say to go over to get my do anything yeah. that had to do with the dmv because i had to go over to that area there's a lot of traffic there's the parking etc yep. so at least in the bronx that little tiny microcosm of the situation that doesn't yeah. even apply or make sense for for yonkers the dmv is in south yonkers which is you know right. a minority community and it is always so busy and so packed down there that parking is impossible. It's harder for me. To, it's so hard for me to get anything done at the Yonkers DMV that it pays for me to go to the White Plains mm-hmm. DMV. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's because- the same thing out here because I'm in a majority white neighborhood, actually. And the DMV in my neighborhood is always packed. It's horrible. So I go to a DMV that's about 20 miles away that I know is actually usually yeah. dead. So once again, it's not a racial issue, but yet the Democrats want to make everything about race. 
And with that, Doom Nation, we'll be right back after a few messages. What's up, everyone? It's the Two Doom Men, and we're here to tell you about a partner of ours, the Patriot Cigar Company. The Patriot Cigar Company's story started with the idea of incorporating the love of cigars with the love for freedom and America. There is no better way to celebrate our love for our country and freedoms we cherish than smoking a premium cigar. After months of trying out different blends and working with master blenders, they created the Hellfire, TNT, Sidewinder, Moab, and Mark 48, which we have right here. Each cigar is made with premium tobacco, aged a minimum of three years in Nicaragua. You know, this is a true story. I had really fallen off smoking cigars for a while, and I just couldn't find anything that I enjoyed or wanted to sit through until I was introduced to the Patriot Cigar Company, and these are honestly some of the best cigars I've smoked in a long time. And the best part about it is you could go to MyPatriotCigars.com and use our promo code DOOMED to get 15% off your order. So if you're ready to enjoy a nice cigar, head on over to their website by using the link in our episode description below. I feel like anything the government does in general is very inefficient and sloppy. Uh, So the fact that it might be hard for anybody to get an ID or (laughs) a driver's license is because the government is inefficient. And then they use themselves as the justification for why it's, it's, you know, you can't get it done. So they're the problem. They're the reason why it might be difficult to get something, but then they tell you, well, we can't, you know, we can't use ID because yeah. it's racist. Well, no, no, actually, you're the problem. You're you make everything complicated. You, make you don't do anything racist. efficient. Yeah. Um, so, no, they don't. And that's the big problem with government is they don't do anything, period. I mean, if you look at our roadways here in New York, it's oh, like, yeah. just giant craters that swallow tires. And yet we expect government to do everything. I mean, fixing a road is actually pretty simple. It's pretty basic. You need to know how much asphalt, the type of equipment you need, and that's it. You're done. Instead, they'll fill the potholes on like the rainiest day possible that they fill it. And a couple hours later, all the asphalt's already out of it. Yep. The hole's even bigger than it was before. And yet we're supposed to expect government to be this competent entity to solve all these problems. And I don't know about you, but I can't remember a time in my life where I, I couldn't have an ID or where oh, I didn't yeah. need an ID for something. I mean, we all need our identification for something, whether it's to get into a state building, a federal building, whether it's to buy beer, whether it's to get on a plane, whether I have to go to a new doctor's office and I got to submit my initial forms, they ask for proof of ID. Yeah. If I go to a school district, I got to give proof of ID for my residency. It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, something we'll get into in a few questions from now, but if you want the vaccine, you got to show ID and they want everyone to get the vaccine. So everyone's going to need ID. Yeah. See, it shows you how the, the system's yeah. racist. See, the minorities won't be able to get vaccines no. because they can't get IDs. Well, that that'll be yeah. the next that'll be the next big topic anyway. But something I wanted to bring back on critical race theory. So it kind of just, you know, it makes it doesn't level the playing field, it just levels the playing field for the person who's using it. So is there a way like we could almost turn this on its head and use it like for our own advantage? Like to give you an example, yeah. <clears throat> with the criticism and gun control debate that's going on uh, recently, I was kind of being a little bit of a troll. And I saying, well, gun, you know, the Second Amendment rights are trans rights. Trans yeah. people can own guns. Asian people can own guns. Black people can own guns. It's, so it's if, you're ta- if you're trying yeah. to restrict people's Second Amendment rights, you're racist because yeah. you're trying to take away their right to bear arms. The Second Amendment, I said, is very progressive. It doesn't mention race, sex creed yep. anything it just says you 
have a right to you know bear arms. Yeah. So taking that away is racist. So I want to start using this to my advantage for things that I want to get accomplished. Like I'm pro second amendment. So I think gun control is racist. You know, we could come up with probably a couple of dozen more things that we want to see get like raising the tax is, you know, some form of racism. Yeah. We could figure something out for anything to make it racist in our own favor then. Yeah. But you're a white person using the term racism. So it doesn't work. It only works if you're a left-wing Democrat that you use the term racism, then it works. If you're someone from the right and you try and use the term racism, it doesn't work. And we actually see clear examples of this. You know, you have someone like Clarence Thomas that is constantly being called an uncle Tom. He has Mm -hmm. his black card revoked. He's not a real black person. And Clarence Thomas would be like, well, how's that not racist? Yeah. Right. And they'll say, well, it's not, it's different. It's and, and they don't give you a reason. That's yeah. that's it's just different. That's what they'll say. The the reality though is when we're looking at this whole critical race thing, it amazes me that there's so many dumb and gullible people out there. I mean, I, I just want people to think logically for one second. You say we you're combating racism by instituting policies based on racism. We are actually instant. I want people to think about this clearly right now in every level of our society. In the schools, we're seeing critical race theory. In the corporations, we're seeing this white privilege training, the implicit bias training that goes on where you're supposed to renounce your whiteness and all that crap. We're seeing government policies. Uh, You know, I I believe it was Washington or, or Oregon or maybe one of the cities in Oregon where they actually passed a bill where they're going to give money to strictly black people. Yep. It was um, based it was, on social um, economics. Yeah. It was, I think it's like $500 to every family making under like $50,000 a year or something like that. Oh, that was open. Okay. Yeah. But it excludes white people. So anybody Correct. of any minority or, you know, a person of color or anything will get this $500, but white people are excluded. Yeah, there was also uh, one of Biden's appoint- appointees. I believe her name is Holland. She, yeah. she said yeah, she won't be, a, she won't be uh, voting to confirm anyone who's not a minority yeah. or gay or, or anything like that. So she's she's essentially telling you, I'm not, I'm going to make my vote based on race yeah. or, or that, sexual That was Senator Tammy Duckworth and then yes, uh, Maisie yes. Hirono, Senator out of Hawaii. And I want people to really think about this because here you have people that are complaining about systemic racism and yet they're actually instituting systemic policies that are racist policies. I mean, we don't have systemic racism. That's the biggest myth. And when you ask them, where does systemic racism exist within our society, within the United States, when we say systemic, it means it's built into the system. Mm -hmm. So show me where it's built into the system. And nobody really answers that question for you. They'll say, well, you know, uh, the 1980s, crack cocaine was treated differently than cocaine. Okay, but we've done away with the Rockefeller laws. So those policies are no longer enforced. I mean, you know, we go back to Jim Crow if you want. I'm talking about today in 2021. Where's the policies? Well, banks don't give out mortgages. Everything could be the same between a white person and a black person and the banks won't give out mortgages. That's not systemic racism. That's the bank's problem. And if a bank is doing <laughs> I was just that, saying that in my head, it's the bank's problem. Absolutely. But it, but if banks are really doing that in 2021, well, where the hell's Al Sharpton? Don't you think if banks were doing that, Al Sharpton would be in the front looking to exploit and extort these banks to get a nice big check for his national action network and he makes tons of money off of it? And so the reality is we don't have systemic racism in 2021, yet we're now building it into the system in 2021. They're making... Yeah, I always said, you know, the establishment, the government, whatever you want to call them, they 
they don't need things to be true. They will just say it and then make it true. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like they will put it in, you know, they will start talking about it and then they'll knock over the dominoes to eventually make it. So this is actually true. So now when people start saying we have no systemic, systemic racism, we're going to be oh well look at all these policies nobody's going to ask who implemented them right. but we're going to be like look there's proof they have selective yeah. memory yeah there, well, there's going to be proof also shouldn't call these people progressives like i hate that term progressive mm -hmm. because progressive means progress yes right. these people are not making progress in fact we're going backwards yeah. they're, they're we should call them yeah. regra exactly yeah. Yeah. that's what we should call them we should call them regressives yeah everything that's what they are everything's backwards up is down anybody who's woke is truly just asleep and can't see what's going on anyone who's progressive yeah. is trying to regress like i feel like it definitely is very nefarious almost as if the the racists the, the actual racists yeah. are secretly pulling the strings behind all of this trying to regain their power i guess you say that was yeah. lost over the, over the nazis the years. or something <laughs> well, so, they got uh, their power back that's for sure yeah. as of right now <laughs> So uh, you want to go to the next one? Or? All right. So my next question was, this has been another, this kind of ties into the, the critical race theory stuff also, but a lot has been made of the white nationalist, domestic terrorist uh, narrative going on yeah. right now, right? So in your opinion, is there any actual credence to that narrative at all? Or like critical race theory is being used to push a, a larger agenda? You know, we're, we're seeing at the Capitol, there's the, um, you know, there's the, the fence and the, and the, and the National, National Guard. Guard. You know, and they're there based on there's a threat of white nationalist domestic terrorism. Um, you know, yeah. is there is Every, there anything to that whatsoever? Well, the key phrase that they're using now is domestic enemies that, mm -hmm. that we see domestic enemies. So now I'll ask you guys a question. Can you define a domestic enemy for me? And with that, Doom Nation, we'll be right back after a few messages. What's up, Doom Nation? It is Skaggs here, and thanks for joining us for another episode of the Two Doom Men podcast. If you like political discussion, guns, beer, movie and TV reviews, smash that like button, subscribe to our channel, and share the show with your friends. That's the best way we can get around Big Tech's algorithm. You can also just go to linktree.com slash Men to find everywhere the show has a presence. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Skaggs89. Thank you, everyone, and let's get back to the show. No, no, it, it, yeah. it has a very wide umbrella. Anything yeah. you want it to be, I guess. Anything you want it to be. Yeah. So now let's there's take no, a look there's at no that. context to it. We've heard this term domestic enemy being used constantly since January 6th. Right. The Department of Homeland Security, the Federal Bureau of Investigations have yet to come out and define exactly what a domestic enemy is. We don't have any definition. Now, if I'm talking about terrorism, I could tell you terrorism is the intentional targeting of innocent civilians designed to instill fear and to manipulate government policies. That's terrorism. Whether it's domestic or international, it doesn't matter. Right. But I don't have a definition for domestic enemy. And so because it's so vague, I could essentially define it as anything I want. I could lob it out there. And so what the left is trying to do and the bureaucracy is trying to do is essentially label 50% of the population domestic enemies. You know, the, the idea that we are this country that's just filled with white supremacists is actually laughable. When you actually yeah. go through the studies, when you look at the data, white supremacy, are there white supremacists in the United States? Yeah, of course. There's always going to be rejects within a society that are filled with hate. 
But the white supremacist organizations actually weren't doing too well. Now they may be doing a little bit better because basically you have the government like sending people to them, but and giving them the attention that they craved and they wanted for so long. But the reality is that the term domestic enemy is being used in order to usurp government power and authority so that the government can be granted more powers, more surveillance powers over the people so that you can restrict the people even more. You were talking about the Second Amendment before. Well, if we have all these domestic enemies, well, we're going to have to start restricting guns because we can't take the chance with all these domestic enemies. These surveillance capabilities are a lot greater. But the biggest concern I have is the amount of fear that's being instilled in the population. And it's fear being instilled on the basis of speech. That if I say something wrong, if I say something that goes against the far left narratives, I'm going to be declared a domestic enemy. Yeah. And I'm going to lose my life, livelihood. I'm, I'm going to lose my job. I'm not going to be able to take care of my family. I'm going to fail my classes in school. I may get thrown out of school. And that's the biggest concern I have is that it, it really comes down to freedom of speech and freedom of thought. And if you don't obey and comply with the narrative, well, we'll just call you a domestic enemy. Yeah. That's, you know, we're going to label you and brand you with a scarlet letter and you're going to have to deal with that. It's almost it, like they're trying to enforce self-censorship. Right? Yeah. You, you're not, you might have those thoughts, but you're not going to vote, you know, right. voice them because you're scared. You might lose all those things. Yeah. And just the other day, um, Laura Trump uh, interviewed Donald Trump and Facebook banned it from its platform because they said, and they quote, anything in Donald Trump's voice, it goes against like the policy guidelines yeah they so, just made like, a new rule yeah so anything like if he says hi i'm donald trump it's banned from facebook like there's no i mean freedom of speech is already we've already proven it's okay if you want to infringe on the first amendment if you you know what's there, there's nothing stopping them now from taking another step and another step i agree with you and that's how stupid people are though yeah. so we started to see this on, once again, every single bad idea that exists usually comes out of a university system. So parents, when you go to send your kids to college, just know where you're sending them to and understand <laughs> it's not the most important thing in the world uh, when it comes to a lot of these four-year liberal indoctrination programs. <laughs> it used to be that the universities served as the harbingers of free speech, that it was going to be the incubus for ideas and debate and different opinions and everything. And then we started to see a shift. And it really started like, I, I think the early 2000s, it started where the colleges, the students on these campuses got so indoctrinated by their professors that they started to develop speech codes on campus. And they started to codify those speech codes in student handbooks and everything. And now we're seeing it creep out into the broader society where we're almost implementing speech codes. And if you look at it, a lot of the younger generation, because they were never educated in the idea of what freedom of speech really mm -hmm. is. And we created a whole entitlement generation that believes that, you know, we have, if something bothers them, we, ha we can't say it. If something offends them, we can't say it. I mean, the whole point of freedom of speech is not to deal with speech you agree with. That's the easy thing. Right. Yeah. It's to deal with the speech that you don't agree with, that you do find offensive. And when I talk to my students, I ask them, you know, well, freedom of speech, should there be any restrictions in place? And some of them will say, well, hate speech, and others will say offensive speech. And then I'll turn around and I'll say, okay, who gets to decide what is hate speech? Who gets to decide what is offensive speech? Well, it's obvious. Well, no, it's not obvious. I mean, I'm constantly saying things and you tell me I'm offend offending you. Right. So who gets to determine? Well, that, that would be the government's job. 
okay, and this was when uh, President Trump was in power. I'm like, President Trump, he's the president of the United States. He gets to decide. Well, no, he's not allowed to decide. Well, why not? You just said the government gets to decide. And and so I try and open their eyes that when you talk about offensive speech, first of all, it's in the eye of the beholder. Secondly, be wary of that because those that are in power will be the ones to determine what's offensive and what's not offensive. And while the Democrats may be in control today, they're not going to be in control forever. We know that. I mean, it's going to change sooner or later. And so what happens when the Republicans regain control? Then you're not going to like restricting speech yeah. so much. Yeah. Right. It's always going to come back you know, oh, to yeah. bite you in the ass. Yeah, there's I mean, there's the saying there, you know, uh, hate speech is different from speech that you hate. You know, what I mean, one is like hateful terms, you know, maybe, dro- you know, dropping like the N-bomb or something like that. But just speech you hate is not hate speech. If it well, bothers- even hate speech, I don't have a problem with hate speech. And people get guessed. How can you say that? Because I was in Homeland Security. Right. The second that you start restricting hate speech, the haters actually go underground. It right. actually makes it more difficult to track those people mm-hmm. because now they're self-censoring themselves. They're monitoring themselves. I don't mind hate speech because you know what? They'll say it out loud and you know who the haters yes, are. And right. then you could debate them with ideas. You could prove them to be the fools that they are. And so to me, it's only the one, the only speech that should ever be restricted is speech that's calling for the death of other people, the harm of other people. Obviously, you can't yell bomb in a crowded airplane or movie theater or anything like that. That's fine. It's, you know, but for the most part, to me, freedom of speech is almost absolute. Yeah, no. I, I agree. I've always said myself, I like my Nazis where I could see them. <laughs> exactly. You know, if, if you start, you know, silencing them, then I don't know yeah. who they are. Yeah. You know, it's always better to see people for what they really are. And then you can decide if you're going to shine a light on that person yeah. and, and challenge their ideology or whatever they're saying. I, I feel and like that's most of the time people fold once you challenge their ideology yeah. as well. Well, just look at uh, Islamicism. When you look at the Islamic radicalism that goes on, the reason that we've been at war for 20 years, the reason that it's been so difficult is because these are people that blend in with the population. These are people that, that try and hide amongst women and children. Right. So I'd rather the ones that hate actually be able to speak out. Let them do their little clan rallies where 10 people will show up. Let them do their little Nazi rallies where five people will show up. And ironically, one of our largest neo-Nazi groups is actually a left-wing socialist group. That's the ironic (laughs) part that nobody talks about. Um, But when you're looking at it, I want them public because I want to know who they are. I want to know the communities they're in. The minute you try and silence them, they go to the dark web and it creates a much more dangerous situation. But it also, uh, you know, it also shines a light that would go against the narrative. We always talk about like if white supremacy and white nationalists are such a problem, like how come like we're not running into like KKK meetings and clan ra- and, and, you know, neo-Nazi gatherings and stuff like if the way they the way the media makes, you know, white nationalists sound, it's like we're overflowing with Nazis. Like, I, I think we would have ran into a few Nazis, you know, by now, if this was such a problem. We even tried one time looking up how many members were in the Ku Klux Klan, and you can't even really find out. I'm sure it's oh, I not. actually could give it a numbers. Yeah? Yeah, go for it. And there's always a funny meme. There's the Buzz Lightyear, uh, and, and what do you mean? That's like, look, white supremacists everywhere. <laughs> um, but as far as uh, the KKK goes, so if you look at the early 1900s, we were a country of 129 million people. Those 4 million members of the, of the Ku Klux Klan. And many of these members were actually high level positions in government. They were judges, they were police yeah. chiefs, they, they were lawyers and doctors. 
So 4 million in a population of 129 million in the early 1900s. Today, the estimate is between four and 6,000 people are in the Ku Klux Klan. Four to 6,000, and we're a country of 329 million people. Yeah. I would say we did a pretty good job. Yeah, dropping the bucket. We've been pretty successful when it comes to fighting back against racism and hate. And, And once again, I tell my students, if someone walks on campus in a Ku Klux Klan outfit, how long do you think that person's going to be on their feet before yeah. they get tackled and oh, beat yeah. up or thrown out by security? I give it about maybe a minute and a half, two minutes for people to be like, what's that? And then people will attack. Um, if we were so openly white supremacist, don't forget, whites still make up, what, 63% of the population is yep. still a large majority of, of white. And so if we were white supremacist and it was all over the place i think that i don't think you'd have this fear of people got to remain silent i think they'd be spewing out their hate all over the place and i don't think they would actually care today what i find is most people want to remain silent. they don't even want to talk about race because they're so afraid that if they say the wrong thing they're going to be branded as a racist self-censorship yeah it is i I feel i feel like the white nationalist whole and you know this domestic terrorist thing I think this started coming about because they called Trump a racist so much that like the term didn't even like matter anymore. Like when you would read the headline, Trump, another racist act from Trump, you would just brush it off like, oh, it's his fifth one this week. So now they had to rebrand racism once like Trump got out of office because there's no there's no Trump to blame now. So now we need, you know, his minions, his holdovers, you know, his his secret army that we're going to call. Yeah. yeah, I also think the the fact that so many people seem susceptible susceptible to buying into critical race theory and believing that everyone is racist kind of disproves the narrative. If so many people are, most people I think are either sheep or they're very genuine, and yeah. and they see they're told there's a lot of racism and that repulses them, so they buy into this stuff. That almost and so many people are doing that that almost disproves the narrative yeah. of everybody <laughs> being racist. If everybody seems to be so anti-racist, yeah. how could everybody be so racist? Who's left time? to be racist? Right. Yeah. Well, and you notice it's mostly like these rich white liberal elites that are doing most of this. It's not even, you know, the, the minorities that are doing this. It's mostly rich white yeah. elitists that are actually pushing this message. And, and so it gets actually really bizarre when you think about it. And the part of the problem is that you can't really say anything back because any response that you give, well, guess what they're going to say? You're racist. racist. So if you say, hey, I'm not racist, well, that's only something the racist would say. Right. Yeah. Only a racist would. Hey, I'm friends with a lot of black people. I'm friends with a lot of Hispanic people and Asian people. You know, I'm not racist. Oh, a racist would say that. You know, the, that's a racist the way they would have a lot of minority you. friends to show that they're not a racist. Yeah. yeah, I've heard the theory that um, around 2008, 2009, when we had the Occupy Wall Street movement going on. And at the same time, we also had the uh, the Tea Party movement um, that both both movements kind of were on the right track at, at addressing some of the problems we face in society. So somebody somebody, uh, you know, decided let's let's introduce this identity politics now yeah. to distract both of these sides who, if they, you know, figured out that they both have one piece of the right yeah. answer, um, they come together, unite. they yeah. might actually be able to make some structural change to what's wrong <laughs> in society. I would say though, that the racial identity politics actually goes back much further than that. Um, you know, the Occupy Wall Street movement, that was actually interesting in a sense where, again, it was a lot of rich elitists pushing back 
saying that, you know, these corporate elite people and the, the CEOs making all this money and they would be in the Occupy Wall Street parks with their designer jeans and their iPhones yeah. and enriching the same people that they're complaining about. But if you look at identity politics, identity politics actually goes back a long way. If you go back to George W. Bush, when he was running against um, uh, John Kerry or Al Gore, actually, we could go back to, they put a video out of a black person. I believe it was something bird of being him being chained to the car, a black person being chained to the car and driven around and then basically saying that George W. Bush supports this, that, that that's that. his people doing this. this. And so when you look at it, the identity politics goes back pretty far. It's only now that it's really taken hold. It's taken hold over the last 20 years within our society. And that's the scary part because we were making advances when it came to racial relations. I mean, once again, we're a country of all different people. You go anywhere, go to a shopping mall, go to a school, go to a, a college classroom. There's so many different people and we actually coexist really yeah. well together. Yeah. And people were, I mean, my generation is completely different than the generation before me. I mean, I wouldn't say one tenth of the thing, things my grandparents would say. Right. And my kids won't do one tenth of the things that we said growing up as kids. And it's because the times were different. We are the much most open and tolerant country in the entire world. And yet these people want to bring us backwards. And that's the scary part. It's all but if you look at it, <laughs> yeah. bringing us backwards at the same time, they stopped teaching about the United States and what the United States stand for and the importance of the United States and the concepts of liberty and freedom. So we have these two parallels going on at the same time, and that's what makes it a powder keg. When right. you're getting the education about the United States, you could see through the racial identity crap. You could see it's all BS. It's all nonsense. But now if you're not getting that education about the United States, well, now... You say, well, maybe the United States is unjust. Maybe it is unfair. Maybe it was a system built off racism because you never learned about the United right, States. Right. I think I think part of the reason why maybe uh, it, it's kind of accelerated in the past, you know, a couple of years, it has to do with social media. Mm -hmm. um, you know, social media kind of can create like echo chambers, and and in general, social media is almost like a like a great like uh, social engineering yeah. experiment in, in a way. And uh, it's almost as if maybe some nefarious people have been given this tool that they can now use to engineer society oh, yeah. the way they want. And this is the way that yeah, they want it to be. You take it like, you know, the people who can't, you know, who aren't getting the education, like Nick saying, and you put some anything you say you could be called a racist for. So now you have this anonymous barrier where if you continuously call me a racist to my face, I can cock back and, you know, knock yeah. you off your feet. Where now, when you have that keyboard and screen in between you, you could really push that, you know, that feeling of yours. Mm -hmm. that, oh, no, that's racist. No, that's racist. And you're never going to get smacked in the mouth for it. So I kind of feel like social media does, you know, enhance all this because you could just keep pushing your idea and never get any pushback on it. And it's like an experiment where it's just anybody can find fault with what you say. Mm -hmm. Someone out there will. And that, and it is social engineering. That's the perfect term for it. It is social engineering. It's the engineering based on shut up and obey. Yeah. That, that even if you think differently, it doesn't matter. Just be quiet about it and don't speak up. Don't speak out. And it's not just, you know, I'm, I'm I'll, with the masks. It's the same thing. I mean, look at what kids are being told all day in the classrooms. They're all still wearing their masks. The second mm -hmm. they take the mask off, the teacher, 
put it back up, put it back up. It's their conditioning where we mm -hmm. have to obey and obey. And that's not the American spirit. The American spirit is always to push forward, to always challenge, ask right. questions. Yep. Even if you support the policies, you still question and criticize. Now you're not even allowed to ask questions anymore. Yep. And if you do ask questions, we're going to label you with some type of ism. Yeah, or yeah, we're, we're going to put a fact you. check or yeah. something under your conspiracy video, theorists. Uh, yeah. a disclaimer, yeah. you know, almost trying to discredit anything you say. Well, that's what they do. Point. I mean, I, I put a social media post out that it was a meme. It wasn't a meme. It was just a picture. And it was a picture of a helicopter de-icing a, a wind turbine. And I put in the post, I put using oil and gas to de-ice a wind turbine. Talk about irony. It shows why we need an all of the above energy strategy. Right. And I got fact checked for that. Facebook marked it as misleading information. And so when you click on the misleading tab, it said that this, this picture is from Sweden. It's not from Texas. So then I emailed Facebook or wrote Facebook and I sent them tons of complaints and never got back to me. But I said, please show me where in my post I actually said the word Texas right. or even brought up the storms that took place yeah. in Texas because I didn't. It was a general point I was making, and it doesn't matter where the picture came from. My point was still correct. So even though I was 100% right, now you fact check me. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to delegitimize me. You're trying to say this person gives out false and misleading information, so don't believe them, yep. even though I was 100% correct. And it was Facebook that was being false and misleading. Yeah, it's funny. We, we posted that same meme and had the same exact thing happen to us. I also posted another video recently, and it was of uh, President Biden walking uh, in front of a bunch of reporters. And there was a weird scenario that happened with the microphone and his hand. It almost looked kind of photoshopped or, or, or yeah. phony in a way. And I posted this video and all I wrote in the caption was, can someone please explain to me what's happening here? That's it. That was it. They posted a thing on there, a fact check saying that this is, uh, you know, that it was real. It was a real video, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. I never made any claim as to what the video was. All I said, can someone explain to me what's going on here? Yeah. They, yeah. You, you could be asking, oh, Biden's talking to reporters. Uh, yeah. That was that was a weird video. And they even wanted to try and take that video off the Internet. I don't know if you ever seen it, Nick, where like he walks up to reporters. All you see in the bottom corner is the microphones and his hands just phase through all of them like it's on a green screen or something. It's a real no, weird I video. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's nothing. I'm sure it's absolutely nothing. I, I genuinely was just asking a question. Yeah. Can someone who's more experienced in, in you know, booms, microphones, yeah. cameras, explain to me how this makes any sense. That's it. Yeah. I didn't I didn't insinuate anything and they're trying to fact check you. You don't even have to insinuate anything and they're fact checking. you. Yep. And, and well, the crazy part is I actually a lot of times I'll go on left wing people's posts. Mm -hmm. I'll always check them out. I don't comment. I never troll. I'm not like that. And I'm not going to sit there and have a debate with someone that where I can't change their mind or persuade them. The only time I'll ever get into one of those debates is if the person really annoyed me and I got to school <laughs> now. But it's funny because when I check out all the, the left wing profiles and everything, I never see fact checks on their profile. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And their information is just like completely out there, it, completely bizarre. And yet I never see fact checks. And so it's only happening for the most part to a majority of conservatives. I could guarantee you I could put out something later today on, that the moon landing was fake, that we never landed on the moon or anything like Now I don't believe that. I believe it really happened. I believe Buzz, uh, whatever it is, Aldrin. Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong actually did go on the moon. But I could put something like that and I won't get fact check on that. 
But if I put a conservative viewpoint on, then they're going to look to fact check me. And that's the amazing part. It's like they got this whole data sheet, this whole spreadsheet of all the conservatives online. Yeah. And yeah. at the push of a button, they could just eliminate them. But at the same time, go ahead and state something false about Biden and see if you get fact checked. You well, know, it depends on what I'm stating false about him. It'd right. be like he's like the king of the world or something like that. You know? Oh yeah, like, they won't mind that. Yeah, you know, yeah. they won't mind that. You, you, you like tell the, Hillary you want to send her up to the moon. They they try and ban you. Right. I, I, I could put you know President Biden should be in Mensa and that will be allowed. Yeah. You know that, that about, he's a uh, genius and that his, will be allowed. He had his quote of uh, you know this bill that we recently passed is going to uh, cut childhood poverty in half. What does that even mean? Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> is that going to be fact checked? No, it, no, it's not. So something that uh, we wanted to uh, also talk about that's going to be probably a hot topic as time goes on is this vaccine passport. Because this is some this is the first thing that I've really seen out of the Biden administration that kind of shook me almost like, is this going to pass? Like, how severe do you think and out of control the vaccine passport's really going to get? I think the fact that we're even talking about an idea like this is insane, to be yes, honest yes, with you. Yes. It's something that shouldn't even be considered. It shouldn't even be any part of a discussion it's because the, it's the most dangerous thing that I've ever heard. And, and so, and I, I actually did get into a back and forth with someone about this. When we look at the vaccine passport, so the vaccine passports is, is designed to put an app on your phone to tell you that you go to an event, scan my phone and you could see I'm vaccinated and I could get right in. Well, if I don't have that app, I'm probably not going to be able to enter that event no matter what it is. Now, when you actually read the article, it's more frightening than that because there's some people that are like, you know what? I'm not getting this vaccine passport and I don't care. I just won't go to any large events. No, we're talking about in the article, it actually said that you need the vaccine passport if you want to have weddings over a certain size. You need a vaccine passport if you want to have graduation parties over a certain size. So basically what I see as the vaccine passport it's something that would quickly expand to all other areas. Why not include it for the regular flu? Why the not do store, all the yeah. measles shots? What happens at restaurants? And this is how dumb people are, that they don't think that long term. When's it going to come for obese people to have to use and to see what they could eat and what they can't eat or diabetics? And this is really dangerous. It's a slippery slope because what you're seeing is you're seeing the tech giants that are pushing for this. They see a lot of money could be made with this. You see the government that's looking at the chops, too, because they know if the tech giants get the contract, they also get money back. That's right. how thoroughly corrupt the system is. But at the same time, it also gives those politicians power and control. And, and this is the beginning of the social credit system that yes. we saw built out in China. Now, our tech giants served as the impetus for the Chinese social credit system. Our tech giants helped them build that out. And now they want to import it here. And for those that don't know, a social credit system, it's like uh, your, your financial credit score. Yeah. It, it tells you if you could get loans and at what rate your loans are going to be. Well, the social credit score is something that will dictate whether you could participate in social events, whether you get healthcare benefits and educational benefits, whether you're going to get a job, whether you're going to get a promotion. That's what the social credit score does in China. Well, that's exactly what they're going to be doing here if this actually goes through. Think about it logically. If you obey and comply and get the passport and get the vaccine, then government will reward you and you get to go to a sporting event. You right. get to have a wedding ceremony. You get to have a graduation ceremony. If you ask questions, if 
you don't comply, if you reject the idea of government tracking you with the app, well, then you're going to be punished. You're not going to be able to do those things. And that's the scariest part of all. And then I had an idiot say, oh, well, it's not going to be abused. Government won't abuse it. It's going to be strictly for the coronavirus. We'll be done with this thing in like a year or two and it will go away. No. Remember when we were told when the Patriot Act right. passed? Patriot that Act. That, yeah. We're not going to be abused. They're not going to be spying on us. And then lo and behold, we find out about the National Security Agency's uh, prison program and finding out that they're actually literally spying on every single American. They're taking our metadata from our emails, our text messages, the phone calls of who we call, when we call them, how long we're on the phone for. They don't record the conversations, but they get enough information where they can make judgments. And so, no, anyone that tells me that government's not going to abuse this, I, I, you're lying to people. Yeah, you're you're not being yourself. honest with people, but you're also not being honest with history because history is replete with examples of government abuses when it comes to these types of things. And for all those lemmings, all those sheep out there, at what point are you going to open your eyes? You're going to wake up and start pushing back against the crap that we're seeing, it's scary when yeah. you actually this think is, about these facts. People are naive. And, I, and yeah. I feel like this is the big one, right? This is yeah. this is the hill, you know, that you have we have to die on. We can't allow this. Yeah. We have to talk to people about it. We have to make them aware. That's why I'm glad you're talking about this, because you can explain it way better than we can. <laughs> yeah. um, this is not something to just be like, oh, you know, it's no big deal. Let, let's, you know, if they pass it, no big deal. I'll go get it. No, yeah. no, no. I, I'm, I'm a big Giants fan, uh, season ticket holder. I go to every single home game, tailgate, the whole nine. If they pass this and uh, MetLife Stadium, the Giants make this a requirement to to get it, I, I'm giving up my season tickets. Yeah. I'm done. I'm not doing. I'm not giving up my my personal freedoms, my right. my liberty for a football game or, or anything but, like that. But when does like so a big sporting events? One thing that you can say you cannot go to, but like, what about like your friend's next wedding? What about like when right. it comes down to your local sports bar? Like, you, when does it become like the bank and the grocery store and the doctors? Are, you know what I mean? Like now you can't go to the doctor anymore. Now you can't go shopping for food. You're literally just locked out of the system yeah. until you starve to death. I, I've heard die. people equating it to they're, they're trying to form like a caste system. Yeah. Of, of there's going to be the, the, the people who got the vaccine and have the passport there, you know, they're the, the, the good part of the yeah. caste. So they're on top and then everybody else. Well, they did what the government top. wanted. So they get rewarded. Right. That yeah. That's what it is. It's rewards and benefits to force compliance and I don't know who in their right mind would think that this is a good idea. And there's a conservatives, lot of, a lot of times will scream and yell and we'll be like, oh, this will lead to the slippery slope. This will. No, we're on the slippery right. slope. Yeah, like, like we're here. Like, we're sliding down. We're, we're already sliding down and we're about to crash. Now, we can stop this. I mean, if, if the American people show outrage towards this now, it will be dead. It, the government will not build this out. But the American people have to speak up. They have to show their outrage. They have to contact the state legislative bodies because a lot of this is, you know, New York State is already trying to start implementing this. Yeah. You know, and, and so we got to tell people, don't download that app. Don't you want to get the vaccine? Fine. That's everyone's personal decision. If you want to get, I feel I'm young and healthy. Okay. If I was 65, I'd get that vaccine in a heartbeat. But I'm young yep. and healthy. At least I think I'm healthy. I'm not really afraid of the coronavirus. I'll take my chances with the coronavirus. Let the older people that are more susceptible, let those with pre-existing condition get the vaccine first, and then I'll consider it if I want it. Yeah. But I for damn sure am not downloading, even if I got the vaccine, no. I would never download an app with a QR code, with a barcode. Usually when you're trying to stamp human beings with barcodes, it doesn't really end all that well. Yeah. Yeah. World so War II. I, yeah. I'll kind of stay away from that one.
Yeah. And like, like I said, I, I feel like it's extremely important that we just in normal conversations with yeah. everyone, it, try and explain that to them, tell them, because with, with what we're seeing on, you know, censoring conservatives, you know, most of the media stations are, are lean left. People are not going to hear the bad things about yeah. this. They're going to be sold as this is the right thing to do. Well, it's such they're not going to have any clue as to why yeah. this is bad. Well, the next thing is going to be the people like us who are against this vaccine passport. We're going to be labeled the bad guys, us versus yeah, them. They'll pull you're part YouTube of the yeah, yeah. you're part of the resistance. You're part of, you know, you're you know, you shouldn't be questioning this. These are only a racist person wouldn't do this. You don't care about science or health. They're just going to target everybody who goes against them. This is basically a Nazi takeover. <laughs> but that also makes it easy to push back against. And what I mean by that is, listen, you're not going to change the minds of anyone that's far to the left. They're, mm-hmm. they're a waste of time. Brainwash. But there are plenty of people that I speak to that are just normal people. And, and they're afraid of the coronavirus. They ran. They got their vaccines. And I asked them, so when are you going to be able to take that mask off? That's why there's no point in getting the vaccine. Right. If well, I could well, take the, the mask off, I would maybe if I could, if if the bar was open past ten and I didn't need to wear a mask, you know, I would maybe consider getting the passport, uh, not the passport, the the vaccine because there's a benefit to it. But if everything's going to say the same, right. no. Well, that's the dumbest thing government ever did. If you really yeah. wanted to get everyone vaccinated, say you get the vaccine, you get to take off the mask, you don't have to social distance anymore, your life goes back to normal. Yeah. There would be tons and tons of lines. I mean, there would be people would be streaming in to get yeah. those vaccines. But but I say, so they're telling you, get the vaccine passport and things will go back to normal. Well, didn't they tell you get the vaccine and things would go back to normal? Didn't yeah, they right. tell you to flatten the curve and things would yeah, go back to weeks, normal? Yeah. They're moving the goalposts yeah. forever. Exactly. Yeah, you know, and that's the sign that you know it's wrong. But listen, they're overstepping their bounds. Yeah. And I think that the closing down of the schools for so long, that's the that that's the breaking point. There's they're that's the, the point where yeah. finally, even those who actually supported the mandates at the beginning, even those that really were scared with the coronavirus, even those that were Democrats. The schools is what's breaking the Democrats right now because parents want their damn kids in schools. They know they're not learning anything on this remote BS that's going on. The hybrid models don't work. Every parent knows their kids now a year behind, a completely lost year. Like, well, LA schools are opening next month. The school year ends on June 11th. (laughs) So they're going back April 14th and the school ends on June 11th. So what the hell? They get a month and a half of school. And what are they going to get accomplished in the month and a half though? Nothing. They got to get acclimated. But I think that's the schools has been the most pivotal point where people are now starting to fight back. And I think it's only going to get worse for the far left, especially that report that came out where you have migrants, teachers going in person to teach migrants, and yet their children are still home. Yeah, if something's got to wake people up. the BS of coronavirus right now, you should be outraged because yep. you've been fooled this whole entire time to obey and comply and wear these dumb masks that do nothing, social distance that does nothing. None of the rules were based on science. We know that now. Yeah. You want to finish up? Yeah. So this is definitely going to be in in your wheelhouse without a doubt. Me and Chris, we've we've both kind of equated Trump and uh, Biden to the South Park episode where they have to choose between a turd sandwich (laughs) and a giant douche. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that one. I have. And, um, you know, we we both, you know, he, he was more of a Trump guy. Yeah. Um, and it's not that I don't like Trump. I never thought he was the best person at the right time for the job. 
and I, and I tried to give him a fair shake on, on every policy and whatnot that he did. Um, I think we both agree that there has to be somebody better in general, in, in, in a country of 320 yeah. million people, <laughs> there has to be the perfect person somewhere or the most ideal person to, to be the president. So in your opinion, I'm not running. <laughs> I'd vote for you. I'd yeah. vote for you. In your opinion, who's out there that's better than Trump to, to run against Biden in, in 2024? Is there that ideal person or that ideal candidate to to uh, to run for president? Or is it Trump? I, I as of right now, no, I, I actually don't see President Trump running again in 2024. Interesting. I, yeah. I don't see him wanting it. I, I don't I'd see him. He would rather be the one that plays kingmaker. He would rather yeah. be the one that uh, people go to to get the endorsement. If I'm looking at 2024, the one who I really have a strong eye on and the one who I like the most simply because they're the most outspoken is Senator Rand Paul. I think that Senator Rand Paul is the only Republican that I see that's truly outspoken, but not only outspoken, he'll go on the media and he's going to go after those anchors hard. He's going to ask them questions. He's going to throw them off their game. He's going to call them the hypocrites right to their face. He's going to be the one that calls out Dr. Fauci and lets the American people know that Dr. Fauci is a circus, that all he's doing is these things for theater. And Rand Paul actually has the ideas. He's someone that actually sticks by principle. He's not one of these people that will say one thing and do it another thing. Uh, There was plenty of times where he disagreed with President Trump and said, I can't support this because it goes against my principles. And he did it in the right way. He's almost like he's a much more articulate in a way, President Trump, and he's someone that has much more principles. President Trump, everything's negotiable to a certain degree, which is good in one way. But at the same time, Rand Paul's not going to give in in certain areas like the debt, which I think is probably one of the most pressing issues that nobody talks about. So I think for the Republicans, I would start taking a serious look at Rand Paul. Obviously, Governor DeSantis's uh, status is rising. When you look at it and you look at people were praising Emperor Cuomo, Emperor Cuomo ended up (laughs) getting an Emmy Award. Um, the guy's been a fraud his entire career and now is finally being exposed. New York had some of the strictest rules in place, and we fared far worse than a state like Florida. And so I think DeSantis's stock is rising outside of them, too. I mean, you have Tom Cotton in the Senate. Obviously, he's a contender, but I don't know how serious of a contender he's going to be. I don't know how many, how many uh, waves he's going to be making. There's talk about Vice President Pence is getting ready to start his run at 2024. Eh, I don't think he has um, a chance. Nah. He, he, he kind of, uh, you know, the Trump, the, the fervent Trump people, I don't think are going to want yeah. to be president. You know, but I don't even think it's, it's more that in a way, because first of all, I'll say, you know, President Trump putting him on the spot like that, that was unfair to Vice President. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He didn't have the power to right, do what was being said. Uh, but Pence is boring. I, yeah. I mean, listen, the one thing that you have to bring in the entertainment factor to some degree. You need to have a little flair, especially if you're a Republican, because there's no Republican that's going to be able to hide in a basement for nine months of a campaign mm-hmm. and only come out once in a while and not even answer any real questions. You need someone that has a personality. And I just don't think Vice President Pence no. has it. Uh, a lot of people are talking about Nikki Haley, but there are a lot of people that see her as too establishment type. 
um, that that she's too much of the bush mold of Republicans. There's talk about potentially ambassador or former ambassador Rick Grinnell, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. You are going to see Pompeo President Trump. Trump. Everyone's going to wait for President Trump to, to make the decision yeah, to yeah. see what he's doing. President Trump is going to be that troll that's going to wait till the last minute to make a decision. He's, he's going to yeah. like have like a countdown clock to make sure everyone's tuning in and paying attention. Um, and, and the second President Trump announces what he's going to do, and I think he'd announced that he isn't going to run. I think the doors are going to be open. I think you can have like 20, 25 Republicans running. And it'll be interesting to see who's going to jockey for the leadership. Right. I think right now it's between DeSantis and Senator Paul. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I, I didn't think Trump was going to run again, especially after uh, being out of the, the mm-hmm. mayhem for four years and you know being on Mar-a-Lago playing golf. He's going to get a taste of having fun again. Why would yeah. you want to throw yourself yeah. into, you know, the whole political discourse over? Uh, can I ask you one other question? What did you think of Tulsi Gabbard from because I know you're very conservative and you, and you like the Republicans. Well, but what did you think of Tulsi Gabbard? Well, what people don't realize, actually, is that there's a lot of overlap between conservatives and classical liberals, which she's more of the classical type of yeah. liberal. Um, and, and when I say there's overlap, there's overlap in being suspicious of government. There's overlap in protecting the Bill of Rights. There's overlap in always questioning and pushing back a government, holding government accountable. So I, I like her in that respect, but I hate her positions on a right. lot of things, you know, with the exception of maybe drawing down some of the wars that exist overseas and getting involved in every little thing. Uh, when I look at her domestic policies, it's like, ew. Yeah, I got you. You know, I, as a conservative, I'm not a big fan of her domestic policies. Yeah, I felt but, like from the Democrats, she was one of the better options. And that maybe is why they kind of railroaded her so hard. Um, seems like anybody who happens to be a, a decent yeah. pick on the Democrat side gets, you know, cast aside or ousted. Just if by you're the, not establishment, by, right. if you're not establishment, you're out. But that's on both sides. That's true. Oh, yeah. If you speak out against the establishment, you're done. I mean, if you're not going to, you know, go along and play along with the powers that be and what they want, you're finished. And that's why Tulsi Gabbard got no support whatsoever. In fact, they openly and actively worked against her. Yes. uh, Because she wasn't the establishment. She's not going to be the one that takes orders. The only reason President Trump won, he's the only person that was able to break through the establishment. He abused the establishment. He knew how to take on the establishment. Most politicians don't. And and that's the reason uh, when you look at the Democrats, that's why Hillary Clinton won in 2016 in the Democrat primary. And that's why Joe Biden won in 2020 in the Democrat primary. Um, There are a lot of Democrats that actually don't like Joe Biden. They're not a fan of Joe Biden. Uh, especially when you look at the Bernie Sanders type and, and they'll speak out against him, but he filled the establishment. He's controllable, obviously, yeah. because he's not really running this country. Let's be honest about that. Yeah. And if you look at the vice president, Tulsi Gabbard actually would have made a very interesting vice president, Agreed. but instead it was Kamala Harris who was chosen and vice president Harris, let's face it. She's controllable too. She doesn't have her any original thoughts herself. She says no whatever's given to her, whatever's provided to her by the handlers. And as long as you can get control, that's what the establishment cares about. Yeah. yeah. When you ask her a hard question, she tends just to just laugh. That's going to be a real problem. Going that's forward, a creepy man. laugh, man. Yes. Yeah. It's but I mean, I, I always, I always condemn her with, look, you're the VP, you know, congratulations, but your buddy Como is now up to nine women and you're still silent. You know what I mean? Like you, you lost the opportunity and the privilege to stay silent on these matters. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that 
when you have a compliant press, yeah. right, why do you have to speak out? Yeah. Why Good even point. put yourself in that position? Yeah, nobody's gonna nobody's gonna come after you. It's unfortunate. Hunter, where's Hunter Biden been? Yeah. You know, yeah, that right. scandal I mean, just yeah, magically he's disappeared. A, he's got a book coming out, I think. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I, I heard you could rip the pages out and roll up joints with them. <laughs> I'd probably do a lot more than that. <laughs> All right. Anything else? That's it. Unless you want anything no, else I'm good. Uh, Nick, you want to plug your show? Yeah, people can check it out. It's called the PAS Report Podcast. They go to PASReport.com. It's on every podcast platform out there. You can follow me on Twitter or any of the social media channels, with the exception of Instagram. I don't do that one. Don't know why, I just don't. Uh, but at PAS Report for the most part. So check it out. I'm sure everyone will like it, and I enjoyed being on the show. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for coming. Um, Doom Nation, there you go. It's been another great episode. Uh, as always, make sure you like, share, and subscribe. You could check us out everywhere Trump is banned. Facebook, Twitter, all that is at Two Doom Men. Instagram and what's the other one? Uh, Gab yeah. is at Two Doom Men underscore podcast. And you can listen to us where any major uh, podcasts are listened to. So thank you guys. Yes. Check and out they- our check out our Patreon also. Uh, just search Two Doom yes. Men if you want to support the show. It's a fifty cents, a dollar, whatever. Check and also, you can uh, check us out on 990wbob.com. We did a little show last night with our friends over there. All right. Take it easy. Adios, guys. All right.